All right, we worked our way in John chapter 2 down to, and uh, he drove them out. He was a little easier on the guys with the doves. He just told them to take them out. He, he, he didn't throw the cages out. And, and I, I'm not sure what that significance is, but God likes doves. I know He's, they symbolize the Spirit of God. So, But it says here that he answered them. They said, where do you get the authority to do this? And he said unto them, I destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And they said, this temple was four, took 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days. But he spake of the temple of his body. And he could have done the other one in three days. And then when, therefore, he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Verse 23, 4, and 5, 23 through 25, is our homework assignment. It says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. This is a a passage of scripture that I have used extensively over the last 45 years teaching basic Bible truths. And very often... I run across situations when people, where people have trusted in Jesus. Now, the word here, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. Anybody know what that word believe is in Greek? It is pastuo. means to put in trust with. They did trust Jesus. They trusted in his name when they saw the miracles. That was your homework assignment. How can someone trust Jesus and he not commit himself to them? Because eternal life is the biggest commitment anybody's ever made to you. Clarissa? I did it for years. I trusted him with my life here on earth. Yeah. But I didn't trust him for my salvation. Yeah. Trust has to have an object, doesn't it? And they did trust Jesus. When they saw the miracles which he did. And what do you suppose these miracles were like? That they were they're witnessing. What do you suppose that was? Healing primarily. There wasn't a near the crowd at the Cana wedding when he turned the water to wine as there was and at the temple. And uh, it says many believed in his name. Many. Uh, how many people did Jesus heal? There's a number in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It says all of them. <laughs> 
That's what it says. And he healed them all. Everybody that came to Jesus with whatever was wrong was healed. Every one of them. He healed them all. That's a big number. It's bigger than many. Because this is what what was it like? I want to ask you here in verse when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover. What's it like in Jerusalem at the Passover in those days? Busy. There are people coming from. Well, there's another one of these Passover events that comes a little bit later, and it's in uh, it's in Acts chapter. Let's see. Uh, two, it, there was, it said in verse 5, there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. It says they were dwelling at Jerusalem. It doesn't mean that they live there all the time. It means they're... See, see, if you're traveling back then, you're not in your car. You're not getting off a plane. You're Wherever you are, that's where you're living right now. And you had to find sustenance and support yourself there. They're dwelling in Jerusalem out of every nation under heaven. It says when there, this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Now, the Jews were scattered all over the world. They are now. There are Jews Jews in every nation in the world right now. There were Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, uh, Egypt, parts of Libya around Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. I think there's, if you count them up, I think it's 18 if I remember right. And so are we talking, you know, well, there must have been four or five hundred people there. That would be many, right? What, what's this kind of many look like? It's, it's wall to wall people, standing room only. I mean, it is everywhere, every street, every place that you can stay for. It's crowded. I mean, it's just there everywhere. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying to one another, what means this? Of course, this is a different miracle, and this isn't a miracle that Jesus personally performed, like back here in John chapter 2. But he's performing miracles. He's healing people. I don't know what all the other miracles were. I, I know that he did an awful lot of healing people. I know that the people he healed weren't just, you know, they didn't have, they didn't all have a cold. We're, we're talking about lepers with body parts fell off. We're talking about uh, people born blind, eyes that were all glazed over with whatever. I mean, we're talking about people that were obviously hopelessly ill or hurt or damaged in some way. 
and others that weren't so much. And there are a lot of specific miracles in here and specific healings, but most of it's healing. And of course, we got our healers today. But they never hang out at the hospital. You ever notice that? You ever see Benny Hinn in the parking lot of the hospital or in the lobby? I heard he wanted to go and eat that. Yeah, well, you know. We could talk for a long time about the devil's deception, but when he was in Jerusalem in the, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. And Clarissa said that they trusted him for the miracle. If, if you were, let's say you had uh, cancer, and you're 16 years old, and the, somebody comes and prays for you. You know, they'll tell you that if, if they prayed for you and you don't get healed, it's because you didn't have enough faith. Does Jesus need you to have a certain level of faith before he can heal you? Does your faith have anything whatsoever to do with Jesus healing you? That's true. But go ahead. Uh, I'm recalling a few times where the Lord told certain people, uh, your faith made you whole. I haven't seen faith like this in all of uh, And he told that woman, he said, your your faith has made you whole. Around the same point of healing or miracles. This is this is an interesting concept. This is gonna this is gonna flow back to what we were reading about in last Wednesday's Bible study. When he told the woman, he said, your faith has made you whole. That We know it's true. If I say to you, I was saved by faith, is that a true statement? It is. It is. But, but, it's a little bit misleading because the woman who was healed, was it her faith? that healed her, or was it Jesus' power that healed her? He said your faith has made you whole because it was her faith that brought her to the power. And it was your faith that brought you to Jesus to trust him to save you. But your faith, I maintain this very Strictly that your faith didn't save you. When James said, matter of fact, I'm going to go there to James chapter 2. So, can we use the, the trust word there in place of faith? Yeah. Trusted him to do what he said he can do? It's still the trust word. Still the word. It says here in James chapter 2, it says here, uh, Yea, a man may say, verse 18, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Okay, back in 14, James said, What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and have not works? Can faith save him? The answer is no. But does does that mean that he needs works too? No, it doesn't mean that either. Romans 
tells us that Abraham was saved by faith. But just before it tells us that in chapter 3, it tells us specifically that it was faith, and I quote, faith in his blood. Trusting the blood does the job of testing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like just like what Clarissa said. She said, I trusted Jesus with my life. All kinds of different things. I like what he meant. I knew, I knew he could run it better than me. And I trusted him with my life. That didn't mean I was saved. For a long time, I thought it did. But salvation experience is a very specific time of trust. First of all, it's at a specific time. There is no such thing as a birth without a birthday. And we're talking about the new birth. Daryl? I got praise. I know I missed it. You did. But through the week, what was it? Or was it the 8th? On the 21st? Lisa turned 8. 8 years ago. The 21st, yeah. you got saved. Awesome. Awesome. Right here, right well, since you're, a, since, since you're a, a praising the Lord for that, let's just use you as an object lesson and example this morning. I should have kept my mouth shut. Okay, Lord. Did you trust Jesus for anything before you got saved eight years ago? No? Okay, well, that was easy then. There's a lot of people that have had tremendous experiences with the Lord. By the way, what, how, how does God draw you to, to salvation? Doesn't he do that through spiritual experiences? He does, yeah. All kinds of, and some of them are amazing. I've, I've talked to uh, people about going through horrible traumatic experiences and trusting the Lord absolutely trusting the Lord and praying and depending on him to get them through it I won't get into the details but I've talked to a lot of people about the Lord in the last 45 years and I'm telling you there's some there's people gone through some rough times and the idea that they didn't they weren't really trusted Jesus in those times is absurd. They were. They had no other, nobody else to trust, nobody else to turn to. And for me, and in many cases, when we, when we go back and we examine, when did you trust Jesus? Boy, they put their finger right on it. Tell me the whole story. But what did you trust? And I know, because I've done it a lot. You know, I've been sitting there a lot. I've heard the stories, and I and I know good and well that what they're talking about is not salvation. And this passage of scripture right here in John chapter two has been priceless for me to be able to use it to show people that trusting in Jesus in a general sense or for some specific rescue. A specific salvation. Salvation from... Well, Justin had one of those experiences. Uh, he was working at Subway. 
Guy came in one night, put a gun in his face. Who do you think got him through that without getting shot? Afterwards, somebody experiences something like that, and they say, okay, boy, I know I'm saved now. I must be saved. God did that for me. Well, you know, you know, I mean, anything that was that amazing, wouldn't you think that, well, you'd sure figure, you sure know that God must love you. But that's not what salvation is, is it? Salvation is only about one thing. It's your sin. That's all it's about. It's not about what's happening to you today or yesterday or what you're going through right now. It's about one issue. Your sin. There's only one way to deal with it. Daryl? He don't look sorry. I keep telling you. What's going through my mind right now, I want to share. I noticed that, for instance, some people like me, he had to bring me to my knees. Literally, you know, the end of my life almost for me to actually step listen. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and I'm thinking of when some of us went through the basic Bible training and got saved. There was no life altering incident in their life, maybe or maybe not, but in my case and a lot of people knuckleheads like me, he's gotta drive me down to the cellular well almost, you know, to, to get you to listen, or to get me to listen. But it's not Everybody's a little different. It's not that difficult to think you're saved and be lost. Oh, I went that front and prayed the sinner's prayer about ten times. Yeah. Well that's Well and it's easy because those huge moments of like miracles in life where you're trusting God for what you feel like is everything. Good, good. Is, is to you feels like that must be saved because being, when you actually get saved, it's a choice. I mean, it's not. It is. It's exactly that. It's a choice. Where like it's like like you know it seems it's huge, but it doesn't seem huge. We we got about fifteen minutes left in our class uh, time today. Let's let's use that to discuss things in your life where you trusted Jesus before you were saved. I was uh, about eight years old. Uh, The reason I know that is because I was a pretty good-sized kid, and we moved away from the house that I remember this, where this this happened to me when I was nine. So I must have been about seven or eight, somewhere in there, might have been nine, but I'm lying in bed one night, and I do not, I cannot explain it. I don't have a, a, a catalyst that we were talking about this or doing that or this and caused me to think about this. But I'm lying in bed one night, and the Lord showed up. I, I really hadn't even been to church much. I heard talk. I heard about people talking about being saved. I didn't know what it meant. Didn't know what it was about. But this amazing thing. I mean, I'm 73, okay, and I remember this experience like it was last night. 
I mean, unforgettable. So sensational, amazing, never forget it, never forget it. And the Lord revealed himself to me in that not some kind of image or whatever. I, I knew that God was real and that he was there. I, I knew it. Uh, and it's the first time I'd ever known it. And here I am. I'm a kid. And this this amazing presence is right there. The next morning, I told my mom, I said, Mom, I said, I think I must have got saved last night. And she she didn't really, I don't remember what she said or if she said anything. I, so, you, can, you know, it makes me understand how people can go through a sensational, spiritual experience and think that's got to be it because... Have, have you heard your whole life that getting saved was a big deal? It is a big deal. I, I, we could probably ask any of the kids back there that are, you know, up where they can carry on a conversation if, you, if they think getting saved is a big deal. And they'd probably tell you, yeah, it, I think they would. I thought, it, I, I didn't know anything about it. But I, I knew it was supposed to be a big deal. And it didn't take me very long later to understand that I wasn't saved. As I got into teen years, and, you know, sin is like nonstop when you're a teenager and a guy. So probably the same for everybody. I don't know. At least it was for me. But it is just really easy to be wrong about your salvation. It really is. Basic Bible truths. I, I was sharing with a guy this week. I've been teaching these classes, same same outlines for 46 years, something like that, pretty much. And I've heard testimonies from every walk of life. I have led people to Christ from every walk of life. I have heard the stories and and I told this fellow, I said, from Christians of other denominations or other, you know, like Protestants and Catholics and all different brands of Christianity, I told him, I said, almost 100%, like 98, 99 out of 100 get saved in these classes. I've been watching them do it for more than 40 years. I, it's just normal. And I said, but what's really amazing, really surprising, is that about, I haven't kept exact score, but I got a pretty good idea, about six out of ten, I would say, Baptist church members get saved in the classes. Because they thought they were, but they weren't. John can relate. <clears throat> Eva can relate. <laughs> I have a story to tell because I trusted Jesus a long time ago. Yeah. A long time ago, I trusted At 68, I trusted him to give me a baby that I did so. I trusted him to know that he would take care of my needs. Yeah. He could take care of me. He could take care of his child with his old lady. Yeah. And, and
out. You understood salvation. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I, I trust him. So, trusting him and knowing him and having your salvation. Let me add something to this today that that will help you. You know, you know, we say, well, okay, I got saved in May, and it was a long time ago that I trusted Jesus for this and this and this and this. So I must have been a real dummy not to have figured it out till now. No, that is not how that works. Everything you've gone through, everything God has shown you, every area where he's played a role in your life, is part of the process that brought you to the table where you trusted Jesus when you saw it in his word. It's all part of the process. What I was saying is knowing that way back then, God knew. Yeah. He already knew. He knew. He, he knew when, where, how, and what. You know how he knew? He was already there. <laughs> he's past, He's present there. And... And one of the most wonderful things about the Lord in his nature that I have seen through the years of teaching these classes is that the stories like Eva's today, the stories of how God worked in her life before she was saved, and there's there isn't a I, I say I could sit there and say well that really wasn't God that was just da 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 because you weren't even saved then so well I'm glad I'm not stupid enough to think like that but what I've noticed about God's character is that because He does know it's called foreknowledge He's He's been treating Eva like a child of God her whole life because He knows exactly when and under what circumstances this. he's orchestrated and set up the appointment where she's going to put her trust in the blood Amen. once and for all. Hallelujah. And God, you say, well, you know, that's not, God. God's not going to treat you like you're saved until you're saved. Uh, dummy, go ahead and think like that if you want to. But you don't you don't know much about my Lord. It's just an amazing thing how how the plan comes together. Jonah said, "Salvation is of the Lord." I I don't know what other preachers do, but I know that preachers get to thinking that it kind of all depends on them. And no, it doesn't. Daryl, do I keep coming back to? in my little brain is God knew that it's there already when my heart would be prepared for this and and so as we mess it all up when time's right my heart's prepared not only does he know but God's not just sitting back on his throne waiting for you to get there God is proactive bringing you there. He is the one who is drawing you through these spiritual experiences. He is busy all the time. And over here in uh, 
in Romans where we hear about, what was it, Romans? Uh, I don't even know where to go right now, but where the Bible talks about the, uh, I guess it's Ephesians that I'm thinking about as for right now. But anyway, when God's talking about his predestination and his foreknowledge, God has predestinated, which means that he has ordained it beforehand. Is it nine? That's where I am right now. Looking here. Let's see here. Uh, For whom God foreknew, them he also, here it is, did predestinate that they should be conformed to the image of his Son. All of this subject matter on this issue starts with for whom God foreknew. It all, it's all predicated upon his foreknowledge. God did not arbitrarily decide, well, you go to heaven, but you don't, and you go to heaven, but you don't, and that's not, that's not how God works. He paid the penalty for the sins of the whole world. Everyone, nobody's left out. But he knows, and sometimes I just add, well, he can't help it because he's God. So just give him a break on this. He can't help being God. So he knows. Yeah, amen. And what he does, he provides for that situation that he already knows, but you don't. I illustrate it to people sometimes. Where did Amanda go? Well, she's not gone. But little Liam there. If you knew things about your babies when their child comes into your life, like God knows about you, you would know, she would know that, uh, well, for example, when Andrew was born, if I knew things that were going to come into his life and things about him that God knows about me, I would have planned for things, his education and other things, differently than what I did. If I had known that Andrew's talent in music would be to the extent that it exists, it's there, uh, I would have probably spent less money on guns and boats and stuff and more money on uh, finding a music school like Juilliard or someplace like that to to send him for his education. And, and that makes sense to any parent that loves their kids. You'd do that sort of thing, wouldn't you? Well, what do you think God's done for you? He knows what you will do and what you won't do. He knows your heart in ways that you can't even begin to. And he prepares for your life by things that he's planned and situations he's put you in and you say well you got to be careful who you're going to marry and dating ought to be outlawed every parent believes that if you got a brain in your head no it's all prearranged by parents who know more than the kids know well, guess what? We have a Heavenly Father that knows more than the kids know. And He is in control 
in ways that we can't even imagine. You say, well, if he's in control, how come all this that bad stuff keeps happening to me? Well, there are a lot of reasons for that. And they're all in the Bible. I look back on my life, and I thought I was saved. Yeah. But everything changed. And I look back, things could have turned out so much worse. Oh, yeah. Amen. It could have been a whole lot worse. Now I look back, and it was the Jesus looking up to me. Amen. Amen. Yeah, this or that was happening. It was. Because it was right there and it didn't happen. Yeah. Just looking back on the the life and death situations. Just those by themselves. I mean, at two weeks old, I, I had whooping cough. And where there's no doctors and out in the country and nobody to help and Babies don't survive that at two weeks old. But I did. Yeah. Had had appendicitis at 16. <laughs> cancer at 31. Terminal cancer at 31. Yeah. It is terminal, but I haven't got to the term yet. <laughs> Life is terminal. Outside of Jesus. Go ahead, Josh. I was have one of those. I took a truck off the bridge going 70. Yeah. Walked over that scratch. Yeah. I took a ride over the top of a big old boat station wagon off a motorcycle at about 26 or 7, 28, somewhere in there. Did a roll and a half. Come up on my feet, walk back, pick up my bike. <laughs> Over the top. Caleb runs and breaks his arm. Yeah. <laughs> and he plays wiffle ball. I haven't broken a bone my whole life. It had to be Jesus. There's just no way around it. It had to be Jesus. He had plans for you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess so. And here you are. You're right about that. Yeah.